children wait in the water. Gods are gonna trouble the water. See that band all dressed in white. Gods are gonna trouble the water. The leader looks like the Israelite. Gods are gonna trouble the water. Hello and welcome to the American Writers 100 Pages at a Time podcast. And ah, I'm in the middle of like a incoming typhoon or typhoon winds. It's actually blue skies now, but really, really heavy winds up here on the 14th floor where I live. So hopefully that doesn't disrupt the recording at all. Um, I'll try to deal with that. Um, but today I'm going to talk uh, about at least the first half of, of Incident in the Life of a Slave Girl by Harriet Jacobs. Now, Harriet Jacobs was uh, born in 1813. She didn't die until 1897 and she is uh she was an amazing woman and had an amazing life um born in slavery in Eddington um the her father was a carpenter and because of that he was often hired out to other to other you know for jobs even though he was a slave and this gave her considerable freedom in her young age she didn't know she was a slave till she was six um and anyways, uh, we're going to hear more about the stories of her life when we get into her narrative. But after she won her freedom, she was able to actually free her two children um, from slavery. And then uh, she wrote this account and she delivered it to Lydia Marie Child, who was like a friend of her. She was, of course, an, the child was an abolitionist. And uh, Child published this as It's in the Life of the Slave Girl, uh, the author's as like an autobiographical uh, slave narrative it really reads like one but people at the time thought it was a, a novel written by child um now harry jacobs wrote her name as as brent as linda brent and all the names are changed and anyway it's finally published in 1861 um and people at the time i'm not sure how they read it but it got sort of forgotten and just seen as like a novel and then it's not till like the 1960s that it sort of there's a revival and um, and a scholar her name was Yellen re republished uh, this with a very long introduction. I have this edition. Uh, it's about half of the length of the of the text is this long introduction, where um, Yellen explores like who this really was and she actually did the the research looking at original letters of child. Um, and found the name Harry Jacobs and deduced this uh, girl was Harry Jacobs, found out the real personas involved and found out uh, like where she was born and her family and, and learn more about her. Um, so we know this thanks to the work of a more contemporary scholar. I think I think she's still alive. Um, but, uh, you know, that doesn't really change much of what's in the text and what we're going to talk about. Um, I'll refer to, so my, I'll probably end up referring to her as Jacobs throughout it, but also refer to the other characters by their, their fake names. Maybe I need to keep it, you know, like call her Linda Brent throughout. Um, I'm not sure. I'm just used to talking about her as Jacobs. So, um, whatever I do, you, you know what I'm talking about, I think. Um, I think for the most part that people are known who the real real life people at least the uh, Flint the the, ma the 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 master who sexually harasses Jacobs that's the heart of the story 
uh, is known as this guy Norcom. Uh, Sands, uh, who the, the, the lover she takes and, and as a white man, a prominent slaveholder in the community, gets her pregnant, so she's trying to avoid being harassed by, by Norcom. Uh, we know who he is. He later served in the House of Representatives. So I don't know who these people are. But anyways, let's let's jump into her story. But the background of this is really interesting. This is one of the more interesting like stories about the slave narrative as it was written and understood later. Um, it's I think I said before it's my favorite of the of all the slave narratives that I've that I've ever read. Um, it starts uh, really with what it's like to be a child as a slave. Um, and even for her, who had a relatively good childhood as far as slave, slaves are concerned, her mistress was um, not particularly cruel to her. Um, but even in those cases, there's a lot of, of betrayal. And and the narrative of betrayal and dishonesty is there from, from the beginning of her life. She talks about someone who like lent their, their her mistress money and it, and it was never returned. And she makes the point like... Uh, the promises made by slaveholders to slaves are never kept. There's no legal bind and binding. There's no contractual law that governs slaves. Um, so she has some love for this mistress. Nonetheless, uh, she actually started to educate Jacobs, teach her to read. Um, and of course, she's very excellent uh, in a literary sense. This is a great slave narrative just in terms of its literary value. Um, but the by the end of the first chapter, you realize with um, that this relatively good childhood is, is sabotaged later on by two things. One is just growing up and realizing she is actually a slave. The fact that she's not on a plantation, the fact that she moves around a little bit, the fact that her father works out on the town, doesn't hide the fact that she was a slave and she found it out about the age of six, which is about the age I think she started learning to read and write. Now, this is all, notice this is like... 1819. This is 10 years before that Turner's revolt when you started having a crackdown on enslaved men and women being taught how to read or enslaved children being taught how to read. That's the one. And the other is when her mistress dies, the family gets broken up. Uh, basically, it's split up among the heirs and they were often quickly sold off because you inherit the slave you don't really need. Well, of course, you sell it. It's just like when you inherit a house from your parents that you don't need, you probably sell it off for the cash. It was, it was very similar with, with, with slavery. So the death of a master or a mistress could often be very devastating for black families. And, and I don't think we mentioned that before, but it's a, it's a real reality. So there's, there's always the threat of the master breaking up the family, right? But even more serious was when the master died, who, that master may have been trying to keep a family together. The heirs may not have that um, desire, or it might just be that in, in probate, the family gets split up among numerous heirs. If you have seven, eight kids, that's a rather big family. Let's say you have four or five kids and you have 20 slaves. If you split up the slaves and the estate among those kids, it's likely families could be broken up in that and then sold off. And even if they... Even if they're split up in the community, they're still in the same town. They could still like be a family of, of sorts as, as much as you can be in, in slavery. But if they're sold off, they're going down to Alabama. Now, this is set in North Carolina. This, these events take place in North Carolina. So, um, you know, it's, it's already sort of the deep south, but it's not like Mississippi, Alabama, the cotton south. So anyways, the next chapter, uh, New Master and Mistress. This is where we're introduced to Dr. Flint or Norcom. 
he was a, a physician and he's got a Wikipedia page, I think. So you can know all about him. The name is really wonderfully chosen here. He's because he's cruel. He's a flint. Uh, the, the, I don't know about Mr. Sand, the guy she ends up uh, sleeping with in order to get pregnant. Another white man. He's called Mr. Sands. Um, I don't know if there's some metaphor there, but definitely with Mr. Flint, you get the sense of, uh, of a sharp-edged, cruel man. And he is. Um, but there's another interesting thing in this chapter. We really don't get into Flint's character right here so much. Um, he is. Uh, he's described as Epicurean. He's described as violent. He's obviously uh, uh, sexually harassing Harriet Jacobs from the time she's she's blossoming into womanhood, um, even earlier, I suspect. Um, and this is a chapter where Harriet Jacobs talks a lot about the suffering of mothers in slavery. But really interesting thing is about fatherhood, because she's got a younger brother, William, who's a major part of the story. And, and Dr. Flint's kind of getting his hands on William and, and ordering him around and and there's a tension between like you know who's the who's the real father and jacob's father who is he's to, we're told here he's more like a free man and william i often be, picked that up from his father to behave more like a free because he was being like hired out in the community and when he starts or taking orders from flint the father jacob's father says to william like you are my child right which isn't really true right in, in a legal in a legal sense the parentage is the owner right and the owner has ultimate the ability to trump the the, the authority of, of black fathers in slavery um, so that's an interesting little uh, aspect of this chapter but eventually the father dies jacobs is still quite young and again we have more uh, sales described here and it connects to the suffering of mothers in slavery so a lot here in these early chapters about what it's like to be a child, what it's like to be a parent in slavery. And, and I know this account gets well known for the, um, the sexual harassment aspect, and of course is the heart of it, and her, her, her unique method of resisting it. Maybe not unique, but her particular method of resisting it. Uh, it's unique among slave narratives anyways. But there's a lot of other interesting aspects. This is... Um, as good as Bibb's uh, story on on the on the motherhood marriage thing, I, I think it's, I think it's even stronger. Uh, it, it's better here too because it's it's framed in terms of like resistance. It, that's why this book has become sort of a feminist icon as well as a as a, a well-known slave narrative. Um, so um, yeah, let's let's jump ahead a few chapters. There's a, there's a side. There's a, an important chapter here about a, a slave named Benjamin, who who resists, and how William sort of resists, and how that's doomed to failure. Uh, we're 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 told through the stories of their lives that this is going to, you know, the the suppression of black manhood is is, is key. In fact, the chapter is called "Slaves Who Dared to Be a Man." And then we see what happens to them for doing that. So gender is very much caught up in this, uh, this story. What it, what it means to be a man in slavery, what it means to be a father, what it means to be a, a growing girl, like a, a young woman, what it means to be a mother. These are all explored through her life. And that, that's, that's really the power of this particular story.
I think. But anyways, Trials of Girlhood is really where you 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 get into the into her head and her experiences with Flint. So when she's 15 years old, um, so she is maturing, right? Um, and that's when the sexual harassment begins. I I have a hint maybe it began earlier. I don't know if it was just when she when Jacob hits puberty that he does, or if there was like an earlier phase of this of this harassment. Um, but it's really aggressive. And basically, he, Flint tells her, Norcom is his, his real name, obviously, tells her, you will, you're my property, you can do what I want. Now, he doesn't rape her at, at any point. He just really is trying to get her to kind of consent, to, to submit to it. So there's almost like a, a weird power dynamic here in how he's trying to use mind games and stuff to try to control her. And the way it's described is really, really... Uh, really chilling at times. Where he says, He was a crafty man resorting to many means to accomplish his purposes. Sometimes he had stormy, terrific ways that made his victims tremble. Sometimes he assumed a gentleness that he thought must surely subdue. Of the two, I preferred his stormy moods, although they left me trembling. He tried his utmost to corrupt the pure principles my grandmother had instilled. He peopled the, my, my young mind with unclean images, such as only a vile monster can think of. End quote. Now, there's a limit to how direct and explicit she's going to be about this, but you know, readers at the time would have known what's being hinted at, even though it's you know, to modern ears, it sounds like, well, why don't you just tell us what he, what he, what he's saying? But, but that's that would have been beyond the bounds of propriety for a story like this, or for a narrative like this. Um, by the way, I, I I never talked about her grandmother, and the grandmother is uh, what was able to free herself and live nearby, and she's going to be an important figure later on, but. Um, kind of the f substitute mother for, for, for Jacobs throughout her life. Um, but Charles of Girlhood, this really gets to the, the sexual harassment of that. The f and then I think some interesting things here to think about in this particular part of the story is things like how she fears her masters, how, how enslaved women fear their masters in different ways than enslaved men might. And then uh, the most chilling thing here is like the fear of growing up throughout all these early pages that on the one hand she's it's not till she's six that she even realizes she's a slave so there's like a a sadness that comes with that idea that that at some point you grow up and you realize that you are not free you're someone else's property and your 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 life choices are limited to what is offered to you um that's horrific to think that that's something you have to grow up into and to understand right um we teach most kids like as you mature, you're freer through education, through opportunities. That's the exact opposite for, for these. They were freer as two-year-olds, three-year-olds. And then you, you have the second thing where you, the second phase when you hit puberty, when you realize that you are desirable to your master. And, and many, numerous, countless, who knows how many enslaved women were, were raped. It seems to be more the norm than the exception. Uh, when you hear these stories enough, and it, it's like when you hear Jefferson did it, it shouldn't be surprising because like it seems every slave master was was doing this kind of thing, at least a lot. Um, why does it show up in every one of these narratives? Right? It, it's just how many examples do you need? How many accounts do you need to to say that this is just? inherit even jefferson says this in notes of the state of virginia 
is like slavery requires submission of one and the dominance of the other or something like that. Um, it just seems to be part of, part of the system. Where did all these mulatto children come from? Um, now, she, she kind of talks about, she compares, she does this a lot and it's quite well done where she realizes her audience is going to be white women in the north and she often will step aside and break the third wall of the story and say like now think about what it's like your childhood and think about what it's the childhood of a, of a, of a black girl think about a, a two children a white child and a black child who played together as kids and then uh, imagine how they diverge as they as they grow up quote i once saw two beautiful children playing together one was a fair white child the other was her slave also her sister when i saw them embracing each other and heard their joy Laughter, I turned sadly away from the lovely sight. I foresaw the inevitable blight that would fall in the little slave's heart. I knew how soon her laughter would be changed to size. The fair child grew up to be a still fair woman. From childhood to womanhood, her pathway was blooming with flowers and overarched by a sunny sky. Scarcely one day of her life had been clouded when the sun rose on her happy bridal morning. How had those years dealt with her slave sister, the little playmate of her childhood? She also was very beautiful, but the flowers and sunshine of love were not for her. She drank the cup of sin and shame and misery, whereof her persecuted race are compelled to drink. End quote. Beautiful stuff. Wonderful uh, prose there that really uh, affects uh, the, the emotional response she's going for here. So what does Jacobs do? She's 15 years old. She realizes her master is like, going to harm her, beat her more than he does. There's, there's physical violence described here. Uh, and... Or, or rape her eventually, right? So what does she do? Is she she takes, um, well, first she tries to find a, a, a lover in a free black worker uh, nearby. Now, he, she, she, she basically says, I'm in love with him and I want to marry him. And Flint like freaks out about that. He resists the marriage. And he says, I don't want you to have children, right? You shouldn't have children and Flint threatens her. <clears throat> And, and so that, I think, gets, is what gets into Jacob's mind the idea that, like, he doesn't want someone who's pregnant, right? He, want, he wants, like, a virgin, essentially. He wants to take her virginity away. So that's when she, she gets up the idea of, like, meeting up with Mr. Sands, now, Mr. Sands' real name is Samuel Treadwell Sawyer. And, and I, I, well, I guess there's some sections to talk about first. Is, is she intersperses the account with, like, vignettes about the life of slavery. I'll just mention some of them. One is about um, uh, the punishment and violence in the neighborhood, in the community, uh, and the desire of freedom for slaves are in the community. So she spends a lot of time making it clear that... <clears throat> All the slaves in, the, in Eddington want to have their freedom. Um, she also talks about how slaves were taught to think of the North as a cruel, violent, horrific place. How essentially propaganda make them scared of the North so they won't want to go there. We have stuff about religion and she really hits on um, Flint's hypocrisy. Dr. Flint's hypocrisy with towards religion. Um, because the lessons being taught from the pulpit about how... Slavery is good for black people and, and how it's a moral system are contradicted by Flint's own behaviors on a daily basis towards, um, towards Harriet. Um, so 
she emphasizes that. Uh, she also talks about it, how it's a way to control slaves. Uh, we've seen this before in other narratives, of course, but it, it's notable that Harry Jacobs talks about them in this first half of this book. Um, but uh, one thing I want, like, moving on with the story, though, because we're, we're kind of getting to the close to the midway point of this of this book, um, is she starts to sleep with uh, Mr. Sands, whose real name is Samuel Treadwell Sawyer. Uh, now, this had to be dug up by later scholars, but um, he uh, lived in that area. Uh, it's mentioned in the text that he went off to Washington to become a house, he served one term in the House of Representatives, and and that the dates line up. So this is the guy. This is the guy. Um, and he's a um, he's re relatively kind to Harry Jacobs. That's how he's always presented. But he's like all the white people prone to betray Jacobs. Um, but uh, she does choose him. And so she's 15 years old. And she chooses to uh, basically say, if I'm going to be raped by Flint, I'd rather seek out a man and volunteer and willingly take him as a, as a lover and have his children. And that's what she does. Uh, so she has two kids with this Mr. Sands, this Sawyer, um, a son first, who is named Benjamin, and then a daughter. Um, this f causes Flint to flip out, kind of confirming that he wanted her as a virgin, um, and he's very upset but about that. But And he eventually kicks her out, and she goes to stay with her mother. But he never really gives up hounding her and harassing her. Um, um, because she's still like hanging around and he's still technically owned by, by Flint and, and, and the family. There's some weird complex ownership stuff there, but essentially Flint's her master. Um, later on her daughter's born, but persecution continues. He harasses her. He goes to the house, the grandmother's house a lot. He, um, writes letters, like perverted letters and stuff. He does a lot of weird stuff. Um, and eventually Harriet Jacobs decides to escape and the way she escapes is essentially to like hide in the crawl space the attic and then the crawl space of her grandmother's place and she ends up hiding there for seven years which is pretty amazing you think of like you know uh, during the holocaust people hiding in attics and things and in crawl spaces for, for 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 months at a time and how chilling and horrible that was uh she uh hid there for for seven years now she wasn't I don't think she was always in there. She, she kind of could go around the house at times. She read, but she was separated from most of Eddington's society, separated largely from her children and from Mr. Sands, you know, for seven years. Now, meanwhile, she's trying to negotiate with Mr. Sands a couple of deals, side deals. Um, so I think S S Sands Sawyer must know she's there. Doesn't give her, her up to Flint, who's publishing ads and posting rewards. For, for Jacobs. Now, the, the, the deals she's trying to work with him involve, on the one hand, he to uh, purchase her children from Flint. Um, and one reason she runs away, actually, is to try to make that more likely. So she's thinking, you know, she's, what, a teenager. It's not a bad plan, though. It's pretty wise. She, she thinks, if I run away and Flint thinks I'm gone... Flint's not going to want to deal with a couple kids, the little kids. That'll just be a burden. Now, what she doesn't realize is that it's a burden, but it's also 
property that's worth a lot of money but she just kind of thinks well it'd be easier for him to sell uh them to to sands um so that's the first scheme and the other is he's, he's trying to get his promise to free them now these promises are not fulfilled by by sands doesn't mean she doesn't get her freedom for her children eventually but i think it takes the death of flint at the end uh, to do that um now all this this whole section is she, she runs away without really running away she runs away by, by by living in hiding but the challenges of running away while a woman is is explored in chapter 18 which is called um months of peril uh where she really emphasizes this because you know you never know if those kids are going to be um sold away how are you going to get them back we've talked about this before with these narratives that it's always a choice you have to make like it's very difficult to run away with your family because um, it's easier for one person to run away the crafts figured it out because they could kind of hack the color line and they were lucky but most people have kept to run away as individuals and that means at least until the civil war happens when people can run off to the union lines as a family and the plantation discipline is breaking down but not in this period of time uh, you know, running away is easy as an individual, but that means leaving behind your family. And that's something that's really on Jacob's mind here. So, um, obviously a really, really wonderful narrative. One of my favorites, uh, if really my favorite, I think of, of the narratives, wonderful, wonderful, uh, account of, of just the reality of slavery. Nothing that none, none do better at getting at just how intimate and brutal day-to-day -day life for enslaved women were, um, all these other writers who are, Man, we got Sojourner Truth, but that's like more of a secondhand uh, accounting of her life, and it doesn't get into these issues quite so much. Uh, she's kind of of a different generation. She's also uh, had a very different experience with her motherhood and things. So, um, but it's uh, it's really powerful, and I urge you to check it out. I'll finish talking about uh, this uh, book next time when hopefully the wind dies down, and. Um, you know, this typhoon passes. So I'll, I'll save it for next time. Um, anyways, thanks for listening. And I'll see you then. God's gonna trouble the water. Ooh, it looks like the band that Moses led. God's gonna trouble the water. Oh, 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 o